seat. You can go ahead and be flipping over uh, in your Bibles to Luke 12. We'll be in 22 through 34 in our time together this morning. Um, I just want to say, Matt, uh, Ben, thank you guys so much for leading us in worship. You guys are always doing a great job. I know you don't feel super great today, so thanks, buddy. Um, And about Gabe, man, awesome on the cajon. Double threat, can teach and and play cajon. So um, also for everybody who's just coming in and always helps us set up for the tech booth, some of those that you guys don't get love back there, Sarah, Dylan, thank you guys. So, um, but you guys have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I love Thanksgiving. It's one of my favorite times of year. Like, um, any, any of you guys still like in a turkey coma kind of hangover kind of deal? I see one hand right there. Yeah. Yeah, like I'm, I'm not, uh, I gotta be honest, like I'm not a big turkey guy. Uh, well, <laughs> I'm not a big guy in general, but um, um, but I, I mean, give me the honey baked ham, give me some of the sweet potatoes. My wife made this like amazing cranberry, like I'm not a big like healthy guy, but she made this cranberry thing that had sugar on the top that was really, really good. My mom always makes this like coconut pie every single year. Uh, you guys are getting hungry, aren't you? I can see it. Yeah, that's just my inner fat kid coming out, but um, Obviously, I had a good Thanksgiving. Uh, inner, yes, inner, obviously. Um, I had a really good Thanksgiving. I uh, hope you guys did too. Hope you guys got to spend some time with family. Um, but it was also a really cool Thanksgiving here at the branch too. Uh, we mentioned this a little bit last week that our missional communities had a really cool opportunity to partner with the Delonago Care Center and with Walmart to provide meals for families in the area. So we provided eight families with meals uh, that otherwise would not have a Thanksgiving meal. And yeah, I heard some, mm, yeah, yeah, that's just cool to see the church actually being the church. So uh, it feeds into the Gabe's sermon a little bit from last week about how our missional communities did this. This wasn't something that the church did. Our missional communities were generous with their time and with their resources. They, you see, th- these, these boxes, it was almost 600 almost $700, and a little bit of that money is still coming in, but it looks like a majority of that's going to be paid for by you guys, the church. This is not something that we built into a budget. This is not something that we fronted, but you guys were generous with your possessions, but also with your time. Uh, Throughout this week, it was really cool. I got to run into the other two missional communities. Uh, I ran into them at Chick-fil-A and uh, Walmart, because where else do you run into people in Dahlonega, right? So, um, but I was able to hear some really cool stories about how the church was the church, and you guys were able to not just go and parachute in and drop these boxes off, but in most cases, you were able to go and meet with these people and love on these people. And sometimes for a couple hours, it was just cool to hear those stories of what God was doing through the church. Uh, so as we are scattered throughout the week, we come back here to gather. That's why we call this the gathering. This is the gathering of the church. And as, as we do, I just want to keep in mind, we're, we're here to do namely three things this morning. We're here to know Jesus, believe Jesus, and obey Jesus. Uh, we think that as a staff is a really great definition of our elders. think this as well. What a great definition of what a disciple is. So all we're here to do this morning is to know Jesus through learning his word, learning the truth, what he says about himself, what he says about us. And because of that truth, uh, we believe him and we demonstrate that belief through our worship of communion and tithe. And, and because we have learned that truth that he has first served us, uh, we obey Jesus because he tells us to serve one another because he first served us. So that's what we're here to do this morning. So uh, let's dive into scripture here together. Again, Luke 12, we'll be in 22 through 34. And let's see what Jesus has to teach us about himself and about us this morning. So picking up in verse 22, and he, he being Jesus, said to his disciples, therefore, 
Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So Father, we're here this morning um, to learn about what you have to say about us. For what you say is true about us, um, specifically here with this idea of anxiety. So, Father, uh, would you be present in the room this morning as we know you already are? Um, would you lead us into all truth and that would it cause our hearts to rejoice in you? It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, as long as I've been here at the branch, um, as many times I've had an opportunity to, to teach, I don't think I've told a story about my wife. Um, well, maybe I have, but I can see her already. She's already getting nervous. Uh, I promise this is not a, a bad story. Um, this is the one you told me to tell, so this is a good one. You're safe. Oh, the little head turns. She doesn't know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, but anyone like my sweet wife, just absolutely allergic to pumping gas? You know what I mean? Like, just every time you get in your car, maybe I'm looking at husbands or wives to see if anyone shoots a look at one another. Like, there is never gas in their car. Like, I'm, I'm looking at Rob Staples, man. Like, I love you, buddy. We went to play golf with a bunch of us up in North Carolina, and uh, we were leaving the golf course, and I thought he recognized it. I'm just, I'm watching the gas gauge go down a little bit. I'm like, hey, man, you know we're about running out of gas. He's like, oh, yeah, we've turned it in hot into Ingles. But, um, uh, but anyway, like, these people don't mean to do it on purpose. It's not malicious. They just don't recognize that there's no gas in the car. So um, I always know when this happens too, I step outside and I look in the driveway and I look for my car, um, but it's not there. And I see my wife's car. I know exactly what happened. She's, bless her, she's got to be up super early, got to drive down to Alpharetta. She gets in her car. She forgets that she didn't have gas. So she takes my car. Um, so that leads me to the story. Uh, this one time, we uh, were running late, as we always are. Uh, my wife was going to do makeup for this young lady. It was her rehearsal for her wedding. Uh, so it's kind of a big deal that we get there on time. It's one of those wet, nasty, rainy days. Uh, so we jump in the car. Jen's driving. She knows where we're going. We're going to Amicalova Falls. I think I told Sydney this story earlier this week. I see your head going. Um, but we're just driving there, and like I can just feel, it's one of those, like, you're running late, and there's always a car in front of you just going super slow. You know what I'm talking about? Like, come on. Like, what are you doing? It's like three in the afternoon. Where do you have to be so slow? Anyway, uh, but as, as we were driving, as you can tell, my anxiety just starts ramping up. So we, we finally get there. We get there right on time. We're coming in the parking lot on two wheels, and Jen jumps out, 
And I'm just like, oh man, I gotta, I gotta find a happy place. So I, I, I jump in the driver's seat and I'm going to just park the car. And I'm just like, I need to center myself, find a stone cottage somewhere. So I, I get in the parking spot and I kid you not, as soon as I, I, I put, the, put it in park, I go, and I hear beep. And a little orange indicator light shows up on my dashboard. I don't think my wife has ever seen before. Low fuel. And the, the, the little monitor says 11 miles to empty. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Okay, great. Okay, well, okay, maybe it's not that bad. Maybe it's not that bad. It'll give me something to do in the meantime while she's doing, doing the makeup. So, uh, so I pull out my phone. I'm like, hey, Siri. And she, I don't know why my Siri's stuck to this weird Australian accent. That's not the point. I don't know how to do the Australian accent, otherwise I would. I'm like, hey, I need gas. And wouldn't you guess that the closest gas station is 11 miles. So you would think 12, but most people, it's 11 miles. You get 11 miles, you're good. But I'm not that trusting of Siri. <laughs> like, Siri, is it really only 11 miles there? Or my car, like, do I, am I sitting weird? Is the gas, is there more gas in there than I think? I, I just have these trust issues when it comes to these things. So, um, and to make things even worse, um, it doesn't say it's a gas station. It says that it's Crossroads Grocery. The next closest one is not for 15 miles, so I know I can't make it to that one. So I just have to start driving. I, I do the only thing I know how to do, I just start driving. I'm like, Lord, I hope this is a gas station. So I start driving that way because all grocery stores have gas pumps with them, right? Like, and I'm doing the, all those tricks, right, that you know when you're running out of gas. If for those people in this room, you know what I'm talking about when you're always running low on gas. You turn the heat, I see some laughs, yeah, I know. Like, you turn the heat off, because it's freezing cold that day, but like, you know, hopefully that will do something with the gas. Like, I even turn the radio off because <laughs> obviously I don't know anything about cars. Um, I'm hoping that that will do something. I'm like, even doing that trick of, like, you throw it in neutral so you're just coasting or, like, you're going up a hill, I lean forward. Like, my, bo like my body weight is actually going to help this. But the whole time, this anxiety in me is just creeping up, creeping up, creeping up. It's like I'm watching the odometer in the car. It says miles to empty go from 10, 9, 8, 7, and it's, straight proportional, the, or, or inversely proportional, whatever that is, is like the lower it gets, the higher my anxiety gets. I'm like, I can't run out of gas here. Like, uh, the closest gas station is an LJ. Like, I'm pretty sure, like, there's no cell phone service out here. If I run out of gas on the side of the road, I can't defend myself. I'm pretty sure this is where they film deliverance. Like, I can't, <laughs> I can't do this. So, but I, I kid you not, I'm coming to the top of this hill. I'm cresting the top of the hill, and I see the odometer tick down to zero miles to empty zero miles, and I crest the top of a hill, like, in this moment, like, honestly, I'm thankful that my wife wasn't in the car, because part of the words that I was saying, but also, like, she's the type of person that's always, like, it's going to be okay. I'm like, no, it's not going to be okay. I don't need someone to tell me it's going to be okay here. Like, I need something to replace this anxiety. I need some hope. I need to find that gas station. So as I'm cresting the top of the hill, and it's hitting zero, that's what I'm hoping to see. And as I crest the top of the hill, I see Crossroads Grocery on the side at LJ, and it has a gas pump. And I literally do that, and I say out loud, I'm saved, I have hope. Like, and then the engine turns off in my car, <laughs> and I coast into the parking lot. <laughs> I kid you not, that is not a pastor story. I did not make up one single bit of, you can look up even down to the mileage, that is true. And that's a funny story, right, about this anxiety that I'm having, that I don't want people to tell me, like, not to be anxious, that I need that anxiety replaced with something. I need that anxiety replaced with hope. And that was true for me. And I would argue that is what Jesus is saying to his disciples this morning, and by default, what he is saying to us this morning.
that in these moments that we have anxiety creep up, we don't need someone to tell us, don't be anxious. If you dealt with anxiety at all in your life, you know that's horrible advice. But what God is saying is that you must replace that anxiety with hope. Namely, hope in him and hope in his gospel. So don't let me convince you of that. Um, Let's take a look at scripture together and see if God is actually saying this to us this morning. So again, we're going to be in Luke 12. We're going to pick up in verse 22. And he said to his disciples, therefore, now pause, what Jesus is about to say to his disciples is based on something that's happened previous. So if you were here last week, you know this is really just part two of Gabe's sermon from last week. If not, check it out on the podcast. Gabe did an amazing job explaining what Jesus was teaching in an impromptu sermon. This impromptu sermon about this idea of being rich toward God. That God has blessed us with whether it be um, money, position, power, influence, relationships. He's blessed us with those so we can be a blessing to other people. This idea of being rich toward God and rich toward other people. Now, this was an impromptu sermon because, as Gabe explained, this young man who just received his due part of the inheritance interrupts Jesus in the middle of a sermon and says, Jesus, tell my older brother to share his portion with me as well. And what Jesus, in his wisdom, sees in that young man is his coveting heart. And so Jesus answers him in a parable to reveal that coveting heart in him. And he says that the Lord had blessed a man and his crops. They were so bountiful, they're so large that they were overflowing his storehouse. So instead of being rich toward God, he tore down his storehouse and built a larger one for himself. It was all about him, all about me. So that context is important because Jesus says, therefore, I imagine it looking a little bit like this, like Jesus is saying, hey, guys, Peter, James, Paul, or Paul, <laughs> Paul's not one of the disciples. Peter, James, did you, guys, did you guys see what just happened? Did you guys see what just happened? And I imagine Peter being the one who speaks up because he's always the first one to speak up in these situations. He's like, yeah, Jesus, that guy came up and interrupted you. It was really rude. Like, okay, yeah. <laughs> yes, but that's not the point. Did you see what was going on in his heart? Did you see that coveting I revealed? Therefore, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. You see, I imagine Jesus saying to the disciples here, this is not in context, but imagine the conversation kind of going like this. Like, guys, you know I knew the stature of that man's heart. I knew the covenant. I know what's going on in your heart. I know you're anxious. And you guys are anxious about things that are daily needs. What can be more daily than food and, and then clothing. Guys, I know you're not worried about an inheritance like this young man is getting this surplus, but you guys are worried about daily provision. I know you've left your families. You've left that inheritance behind. You're following after me. Sometimes you don't even know where your next meal is coming from. Guys, the clothes on your back are the only ones that you have. The sandals you're wearing may be the only ones you have, but don't be anxious because your life is more than just those things. You see that word more in verse 23, it starts with four. Four is a pivot word. He's saying, don't be anxious. Why? Because your life is more. Don't be anxious because it's more than simply that. What Jesus is saying to his disciples here is, guys, there is a close connection between the covenant in that young man and the anxiety in your heart. He's saying, covenant says, I will never get enough. And anxiety says, I will never have enough, maybe even enough for today. 
there's a close connection. Pay attention to it because your life is actually more than just those things. I know those are daily needs, but your life, you might not see it right now, but Jesus gives them this warning against anxiety that your life is more, to pay attention that your life is more than just that. So Jesus doesn't just leave them there in that, in, in that warning. And he doesn't just leave us here in that as well. Now, I, I know when we talk about this idea of anxiety, um, it, it falls on us all a little bit different in the room. Um, some of us in this room may be very well acquainted with anxiety. Some of us in this room may, um, David Myers is a psychologist, he's a doctor, psychologist at Hopewell University that says about 50% of adults deal with something called general anxiety, just general unease or worry. Some of us in this room may have even more than just general anxiety, maybe social anxieties, um, maybe more chronic like OCD or PTSD, so I know this is going to fall on us a little bit different. And some of us in this room may say, I've never actually dealt with anxiety. Um, I, I wouldn't call you a liar, but I would say there's something going on there that eventually one point in your life, you're going to deal with this and wrestle with this anxiety. But as we keep this in context, this anxiety specifically, what we're talking about this morning, is anxiety for daily needs, not for wants. That's, that was the, the sermon from last week of the coveting. This is for needs. So uh, anxiety, if we were to give that a definition of anxiety, what anxiety actually is, it's an imminent expectation of harm. An imminent expectation. Something is, is close at hand. It's about to happen. You feel like it's just right on the doorstep, like the boot is about to drop. Everything that you're worrying about is about to happen. It is about to fall apart. That's what we're talking about with anxiety. So as we go into the text, it's important to keep that in mind. So Jesus, again, doesn't just give them this warning of anxiety, but he gives them reasons to not be anxious. So picking up in verse 24, he gives them two things to consider and a really, really good rhetorical question in between uh, to give them reasons not to be anxious. Verse 24, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them of how much more value are you than the birds? So Jesus is saying here to the disciples is, I imagine again that conversation going like, hey, Peter, you guys come over here. Hey, Bartholomew, come over here. If you haven't heard, there's, I, I love this pastor, his name's Judah Smith. Every time he talks about disciples, he always throws Bartholomew, Bartholomew in there because no one ever talks about him, so he wants to give him some love too. But I'll just imagine Jesus saying to these guys, hey, um, guys, you see these chubby little ravens around here? You see those little guys hopping around? Uh, how do you think they got so chubby, right? They don't have a, a storehouse. They don't like that young man that could build up and tear down. They, they depend on God to feed them. But how much more value are you than the ravens? So what he is telling them to consider is, is their position. Guys, don't forget you are so much more valuable than these ravens. If you're depending on me for daily provision, you're in good company. These ravens are as well. But you are much more valuable than they are. So for us in this room this morning, when we're thinking about these ideas of daily provision, what does it look like for you? I mean, daily provision could look like bills. 
It, it, it could be you're not, you, you look at your bank account and you're wondering where your next meal is coming from. Maybe a relationship is falling apart. Maybe it's not even just that anxiety that you're having of, of daily needs, but maybe some wants of, of jobs, of uh, promotions, or uh, you name it. It's important for us to keep that in mind as well, that, that when it comes to these things in our anxiety, that we're much more valuable than the ravens. To keep that in mind. So Jesus, to further drive home that point that, that we're so much more valuable, gives this rhetorical question. Verse 25. And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his lifespan? If you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Now, Jesus is saying, hey guys, that food that you need to sustain your life, if you worry about it, isn't going to change. Can you even add one more hour to your life by worrying about it? Now, there's a great quote by a great theologian, uh, J.K. Rowling, uh, that I like, that I don't know if Jesus would uh, maybe agree with the rest of uh, maybe some things that she believes in, uh, but it's one that I like a lot. Um, she says, I've come to believe that when you worry, you only suffer twice. i come to believe when you worry, you only suffer twice, because if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. You're worrying about something that you're just going to suffer twice. So Jesus doesn't just leave them here in this. He keeps going. He tells them another thing to consider. Uh, verse 20, uh, 27. Consider the lilies. They grow of how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Again, Jesus is saying to his disciples here, consider the lilies that are around you. You see these things, guys? You see how beautiful they are? Even, even Solomon wasn't arrayed like one of these. Do you understand, that, guys, that these things are temporary? They are temporary. They're, they're beautiful today, but tomorrow they're just used for kindling in a fire. So God is saying to the disciples, he's saying to us this morning is, don't forget that these, these lilies, they're not striving they're not working. They're not doing anything to provide for themselves, but their Father is providing for them, and they are temporal. You are eternal. You are eternal. So these problems that we have, these anxieties that we have for maybe daily needs, um, truth of the matter is, most of them are temporal, not eternal. That if it's a daily need that you have for bills, Truth is, there is always going to be another bill, right? I hear some laughs of truth out there. <laughs> like, if you're worrying about food, you will always be hungry again. If there's even, if it's just this anxiety that you have of things that you want, if it's this longing for a relationship, people will let you down. People are temporal as well. They're, they're fleeting. They're passing away. Jobs, if you're looking for a promotion, there's someone that is always going to be more qualified than you. If you're, if you're looking to finish just a school degree, you're in classes and you're just like, I need to get this degree. There's someone who's always going to have a better degree than you. There's always going to be more education ahead. And sometimes some of these people in this room can tell you a master's degree in your back pocket doesn't mean anything. So what Jesus is saying here is not simply don't be anxious. Like I said in that story, I didn't need someone to tell me not to be anxious. And if, if we look and take a, a deeper look at the text, that last part of verse 20, 28 when he says, oh, you of little faith, I think this clarifies some of this for us this morning. 
that Jesus isn't just simply saying, don't be anxious. He's not saying, hey, just look at the ravens, look at the lilies, they're not anxious, you shouldn't be. But he is telling us that we must replace our anxiety with hope. Why do I say that? At the end of that, when he says, oh, you of little faith, he's not saying, he's not rebuking and saying you have little faith. What he is saying is, there, just as at the very beginning of this, remember that Jesus is telling this to his disciples because of the covenant that they just saw. So Jesus is saying there's a close connection between your covenant, or the covenant of that young man, and the anxiety in your heart because both stem from the root sin of unbelief. See, coveting says that God is neither good nor able nor willing to give to me, so I have to get for myself. And anxiety is saying God is neither good nor able nor willing to provide for me, so I have to worry about this. Hebrews 11.1 will say it this way, and I know we'll have it on the screen here, of this idea of faith, when we need a good definition. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So what we see of this idea of hope, why hope stands in stark opposition to anxiety, because hope is the future tense of faith. Hope is the future tense of faith. It's in the future. Just as anxiety is an imminent expectation of harm, something in the future is about to happen, hope is an imminent expectation of help, that something good is about to happen. You have an eagerness that something good, that if it's your anxieties you're worried about, daily provision, there is hope and God, just as the ravens were provided for by God and just as the lilies are provided for by God, God will provide for your needs. Now, now Jesus doesn't just simply say, okay, don't be anxious, all right? You need to, you need to put your hope in me. Um, he gives them clear definition of what they are actually putting their hope in, and that's in the person work of Jesus, not just for their wants, but for their needs, um, Philippians 4.19 would say it this way about this whole idea of needs. And my God will supply every need of yours according to riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So again, this idea of needs, that they will be supplied and met through and met by in the person work of Jesus Christ himself. So again, that's the statement we're throwing out there. Don't let me convince you of that. Let's look at scripture and see if that is what God is saying himself this morning. Verse 29, do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Seek his kingdom. It almost feels like, it almost feels like the beginning of that verse that Jesus is kind of repeating himself, doesn't it? Don't seek after what you eat or what you drink. Um, don't be worried. Uh, there's a lot of debate among theologians of what this is actually meaning, if Jesus is just restating it or if, um, if Jesus is saying something new. A lot of texts you'll see say, don't be like the clouds or don't be like meteors because it's this constant state of highs and lows. So um, there's a quote by Spurgeon that I, I think really encapsulates this that will maybe give a little bit more depth to what we're saying. Spurgeon says this, he says, "'Be not tossed up and down by your outward circumstances.'" If God prospers you, do not ride high as the vessel does when the tide lifts it up. If he does not prosper you, do not sink down as the vessel does when the tide ebbs away again. Do not be so affected by external things as to get into a state of worry and fretfulness and care and anxiety and distress. 
So Jesus is saying to the disciples here that sometimes, guys, for your daily needs, they're gonna be met, but don't ride too high. And guys, don't be worried about what you eat or drink. And sometimes your clothing, sometimes you're not gonna have them, but don't get too low. And I know, like, this is preaching to myself just as much as anybody else in this room. I'll be honest with uh, emotional stability at times when I feel like my needs are met, I ride high. But when I feel like they're not being met, I ride low. Like, don't act like we do this. Don't we do this as people, right? Like, uh, let's take finances, for example, right? When you, when you get the, I see some smirks in the room. You know where I'm going with this. When you get that paycheck deposited into your account, you know what I'm talking about? You're like, oh, yeah, this is going to be good. I'm going to take my wife on a nice date. Maybe a guy's going to buy me a new golf club or a new gun. Girls, I'm going I'm to go shopping. I'm going to spend some Black, Black Friday money. Um, and then bills come out. And you're like, why have you forsaken me, God? When we feel like our daily needs are not being met, we ride too high or too low. Uh, Jesus is warning us against that because what he's saying is don't put your hope in those possessions, even those temporal things that are fleeting and passing away like daily provisions, but put your hope in the kingdom. You see that word instead in verse 31. Again, that's a swing word, that, this whole idea of replacing anxiety with hope. Instead, put your hope in the kingdom. Now, the disciples probably would have understood what Jesus was saying here, this idea of kingdom, that he was thinking, okay, well, I, I get what a king is and a rulership and that Jesus is coming to take over the Roman Empire and set up his kingdom. Um, but for us, what we're able to see through the lens of, of history, and this will start to unfold a little bit more, this mystery of kingdom, uh, really when we see that word kingdom, what Jesus is saying is think reign, think his authority, think his rulership, think his leadership. What Jesus is saying, instead of worrying about those things, and he says, I'm your father, I know you need those, but your life is more than those. Instead of seeking those things, seek my authority, my leadership in your life and in the world. Why? Why is Jesus saying this? Why is he saying, don't be anxious, put your hope in me? Because a habit or passion like anxiety can only be replaced by a greater habit or passion, namely Jesus. A habit or passion like anxiety can only be replaced by something greater, namely Jesus. We will never lay down our anxieties if what we're laying them down them for is not greater than what we're picking up. And Jesus is saying that here in the text. He's saying, seek my kingdom. So what Jesus was coming to do, he's alluding to, that he's alluded to so many times in scripture, that he is that king that has left heaven. He has left the most secure inheritance ever where no anxieties, no worry, no fear, and he has came down to earth to set up a kingdom. What he is doing, he is going and facing towards Jerusalem to lay down his life for his people. So what Jesus is saying, my, my, my good pleasure We'll get into what Jesus is saying here. What I'm, what, I'm, what I'm longing to give you is the kingdom, namely myself. I'm not here to give you possessions. I'm here to give you a position in the kingdom with me. What Jesus is, is replacing our anxiety with hope is not just hope in stuff or hope in him, but what he is giving us is so much better. He is giving us a living hope because you see Jesus did not just lay down his life, but he rose from the grave. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 6, we'll say it this way. And we'll put this up on the screen. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
according to his mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power and being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, in this, in this living hope, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. We have been grieved by various trials of feeling like our daily needs sometimes are not being met. And that anxiety creeps up into our heart. But what Jesus is saying is to lay those things down and to replace that anxiety with a living hope, me, that I am your surety. I know your needs will be met. And if you seek me, if you seek my leadership, if you seek my kingdom, my influence in your life, I promise the things that you need will be added to you. But there is something far better than those things that you are seeking. Your life is more than just the clothing and just the food that you're looking at. Jesus would say, don't reduce your life to a sum of just physical needs. You are eternal. Take a lesson from those lilies and those ravens. Rest in me and my goodness. You see, this is why Paul was undefeatable, right? Because he had a sure living hope. He was not, you can take everything from him, you can beat him, you can throw him in prison. It does not matter because his assurity was in heaven. So Jesus is not just saying to his disciples, not just saying to us this morning, okay, well, you just need to put your hope in me. But it's even better than that because we have a God that understands that we are of little faith, that we have little faith so we have great anxiety. He explains to us who he is in this next verse. Jesus explains to us who he is and who we are and why that is hope. Verse 32, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So again, remember this idea of unbelief is a fear that God is neither good, able, or willing to give to us. So we become anxious. But right here, we get to see who God is and we get to see who we are. Jesus talking to his disciples, fear not, little flock. Speaking to us this morning, I know you're little. This is this term of endearment. Most texts say little, little, this extra term of endearment that you're precious to me. So if he calls us a flock, that's who we are. That means we have a shepherd. And he is, as we talked about, a good shepherd who went and laid down his life for the flock. So God is our father that is, or our shepherd that is good. Next he says, for it is your father's good pleasure. Your father's good pleasure. So he calls himself our father. That means we are children. That means our needs will be met. If you have kids in this room or if you, or even if you are, you know your parents want to provide for you. So we have a father that is in heaven that is good and willing. But even better than that, we have, he says his good pleasure is to give us the kingdom, to give us himself. So to in a kingdom, you have to be the king. So the king is able to give to us himself so much better than just these needs and wants that we have for possessions. But just taking a look at that text, we have a good father who it is his good pleasure. He wants to give us those needs that we have to reassure us in that anxiety, but he wants to replace that anxiety with a kingdom-minded hope in him 
That is his good pleasure. That is the thing that he delights in. The thing that he delights is giving us him. And just that word give, he, he doesn't say that he lets us borrow. He doesn't say that we have to pay him back. He doesn't say that we have to earn this. He says it is his good pleasure to give to us this morning himself. So in that context, the rest of this passage really makes sense, right? That Jesus is saying that you've got to replace your anxiety with something better, me. All of this is being told in the context of, of coveting. So how, how do you get rid of coveting? You replace it with something greater. You replace it with something greater. That's why this makes sense. The next verse here, verse 33. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The only way that these disciples can move, you saw this covenant that they, the warning against at the beginning. The only way you can move to generosity, like we were able to see through our missional communities this week, of being willing to give, even sometimes I know you guys and I know financial situations for you guys, that you guys are willing to give. The only way you move to that is if your treasure is truly in heaven. Because if your treasure is truly in heaven, there is nothing on this earth that is more valuable. That's why Jesus says at the end, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Because the things that you value, your treasure, is where your heart, your focus, your intent is going to be. So if we're worrying about this anxiety of these needs, if we look at those possessions, or if we look at um, those relationships, or if we look at those things we're striving after as more important than Jesus, more important than the fact that he has given himself to us, we will never stop struggling with this anxiety. Gabe said it this way last week. It's a great, great just picture to understand that this idea of wanting, the wanting more of what is already not satisfying us, if we get more of that, will never satisfy us. So these things we're anxious about and striving about and toiling about to try to get more and more of, even though they're good things like just daily needs, the truth is, guys, they, they are fleeting. They're passing away. They will never satisfy. And even these wants, the things that we want, it's not bad to want good things from the Father, more than just daily needs. But those jobs or those things that we're looking at, all these things that are, are surplus, they're more than just our daily needs. Gabe said it this way last week, this idea of, of if sometimes we can want them so much it becomes coveting that it is an unquenchable thirst. It's an unquenchable thirst for wanting more and more of what we think will satisfy us, but it namely won't. Guys, I'm here to tell you, like, the only thing that satisfies this is keeping your treasure in heaven. So if you guys are like me at this point, you're like, okay, so maybe, maybe I, I can understand what you're saying, Kyle, that I've got to make Jesus my greatest treasure but that kind of feels ethereal. That kind of feels hard to reach. That kind of feels like, okay, that's a very churchy thing to say. Of course, I know I need to value him more than this stuff. So what's my first step? What is something I do? Now, 1 Peter 5, 7 would say it this way, is casting your anxiety on him because he cares for you. The only way that you will do that 
is if you understand that it is his good pleasure to give to you, that he is good, able, and willing to give, and that he is so valuable, of course you will drop those things. You will not cast your anxiety on him, but you will hold to it with a tight fist if you truly do not believe what he says, that he is so much more valuable, that he can provide for those things that you're worrying about, that because you are his child, that he will provide for those things that you're worrying about. Because he is willing, it is his good pleasure. He knows you need those things, but what he knows you need more is an eternity with him. He's not so short-sighted as we are to think that this life is the only thing that matters. He cares about your now and your eternity. And to him, his eter- your eternity is so much more valuable. So start there. It's by casting your anxiety on him. Now, we get to do something special every single week as a family we get to take communion. We get to take communion as this idea that as we have a new living hope that Christ has came and supplied the kingdom for us, that we get to partake and we get to celebrate and we get to rejoice because we have that living hope, that because his body was broken and his blood was poured out for us, that we can rejoice because he has secured for us not only our needs for today, but our eternity as well. So if you're still uh, grappling with this idea of what it means to have Jesus as my ultimate treasure, of what it means for me to understand that he has given me the kingdom, um, I just ask that you use this time to really contemplate that, that you would use this time to try to um, just talk to the Father and believe that he is good and that he is able and he's willing for not only your daily needs but for your eternity as well. So would you guys pray with me? Jesus, thank you for your word. Um, Thank you for this truth that can be uh, heavier at times because we all tend to deal with anxiety. Uh, Whatever that looks like for us in our hearts, uh, Father, you are good. You care. You are good. You are able and you're willing to provide for us. Father, we, we confess that we are that little flock, that we are small at times, that we can feel broken, we can feel fragile, we can feel anxious, we can feel not enough, Uh, but God, you are the good shepherd that cares for us. God, you're you're so good to uh, not become impatient with our anxiety. You're so good not to become frustrated and just cast us aside. You're not that angry, God. You're not saying, you guys need to do this, this, and this before I can provide for you. God, you are so good. God, we believe you in your word when you say, through you we have obtained by faith into this grace in which we stand and now rejoice a hope of glory in God. That we can rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And we believe when you say that hope does not put us to shame because God's love has poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Jesus, we believe that you are our living hope and you're the only hope that we have for this anxiety. So Father, uh, we're grateful that we can be your children this morning that we can come into this room and 
just lay down our anxieties, to cast them on you, that we have a community like this of people that also care for us, where we can confess um, where we're not trusting, we confess what we're being anxious about, um, because these people care. So Father, thank you for your good pleasure of, of meeting our needs and calming our anxieties. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So communion will be open, um, and we ask you guys to respond as you will. Um, but one thing to kind of keep in mind uh, as we go out, um, maybe leave here today and try to spend some more time with um, our, the people that make up this church. As you go to lunch, um, maybe a question that you guys can ponder um, is, is this. We'll keep uh, on the screen. I think we will put it up um, after announcements here at the end, or we, had, we do have it now. Like the lilies, where do I need to stop striving and rest in God's provision for my life? So maybe as we go out this week, um, that would be a, a good catalyst for a conversation, for some life change, to trust your Heavenly Father who cares for you. So communion is open and respond as the Spirit leads.